the script, the science of interpretation. Uh, biblical hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible correctly. One of the, one of the principles involved in that is the law of first reference. And that basically means if you want to have some good idea of what the purpose of something is or, or how it was, look at the very first time that the scriptures discuss that one thing. And so as we start to think about uh, what a marriage is for, what God had in mind when he gave us this institution that we call marriage, we ought to go back to the place where it happened to begin with, and we've just done that as we read here in Genesis chapter 2. Now what I want you to notice, and we'll kind of work our way through it a little bit at a time, uh, and then I'm going to try to make a point at the end of the, the uh, passage, but it says in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. So God gave Adam, and you might remember that we taught a few weeks ago that, uh, that Adam is not a name so much as a description. The, the, the word that's translated in our Bibles, Adam, means the man. That's what Adam means. So God takes this man, Adam, who is the man, <laughs> and he puts him in the Garden of Eden, and he gives him the job of taking care of the garden. Adam basically becomes, uh, to begin with, a groundskeeper, a landscaper, amen? Uh, the caretaker for all of the Garden of Eden uh, and the, uh, uh, the animals that share the place with him. And the Bible says, The Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Adam has one rule that he has to absolutely obey. And we know from our study of the Bible that he didn't quite obey that, and he and Eve both suffered the consequences for it. But Adam has one job and he has one rule, and that is to take care of the garden and not eat the fruit from this one particular tree. And then God says something about Adam. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. It's not good for him to be by himself. That's what God said. Now that's interesting in light of everything that we see before we get to that place. God created in the beginning, the Bible says, God created light, and when light was, came into existence, God spoke it into existence out of nothing, ex nihilo. God said, let there be light, there was light. And what did God say about the light? He said, that's good. He said, that's good. He continued with his creative agenda. He created dry land, and when dry land appeared, God said, that's good. He created the trees and the plants, and he looked at them and he said, that's good. He created the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he looked at them and he reviewed them, and, and, he, and, he, and um, he, uh, he, he measured them, and he said, that's good. He created marine life and animal life. And in both cases, as he evaluated them, and that's the word I was searching for a minute ago, he said, that's good. But he looked at a man all by himself on his own and said, that ain't good. That is not a good thing for the man to be alone. And fellas, don't we know Amen. that we're not that good on our own? Amen. 
Now, I spent 20 years in the military, and I was in the military for several years before I ever got married, and I learned before Diane ever came into my life how to wash my clothes and how to clean my house and how to uh, make sure that I was fed and how to brush my teeth and how to drive a car without anybody helping me and all that kind of stuff. I was, <laughs> I, I was able to do all those things long before I married her. So our relationship is not one of dependency, it's one of choice, amen? I don't need Diane in my life because I can't take care of myself. I need Diane in my life because I can't stand it when she's not there. For a large part of our life, she used to take an annual trip to Germany with my children to visit her grandparents. And because of the expense involved and because they were out from school on summer break or whatever, they'd go for about six weeks at a time. I hated it. It was okay during the day when I was at work and, or if I, if I was visiting folks or if I was involved in something, but when I went back to an empty house at the end of the day and nobody was there but me, I understood what God was saying. That ain't good. It's not good for a man to be alone. And so God said, what I'm going to do is I am going to make somebody who is especially suited to him. I'm going to make a helper, somebody who's complimentary to him. Now, what does that mean? She will have strengths where he has weaknesses, and he will have strengths where she has weaknesses. Amen? And it turns out that that's how God makes us, isn't it? And that's what he had in mind. So he looks at man on his own, and he says, that's not good. And he's only had a negative response to this one aspect of all of his creative effort. So he sets out to remedy the situation. And he says, I'm going to make him a helper as his compliment. He determined that Adam needed some help. He needed a counterpart that would compliment him. In short, Adam needed a partner, and God announces that he is going to create a partner for Adam. And I'm using the word partner on purpose, and hang on and I'll flesh that out a little bit more. Verse 19. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found as his complement. Again, what is God trying to do? Trying to make Adam a helper. Having already announced his intention, God surveys all of his living creation, and he watches Adam's interaction with all of those animals. Just to make the point that he hadn't yet created just the perfect counterpart. So God causes a deep sleep, the Bible says in verse 21, to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place, then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, brought her to the man. Now pay attention to this. God administers the first dose of anesthesia known to man. He performs the first of all surgeries. He removes a rib and closes after the procedure. And he uses the rib from Adam as a basis of a genetic connection that made it possible for them to relate on the deepest possible level. Matthew Henry wrote about this. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. I think that that's spot on. 
And then because God know, knew that he had made something really special, the Bible says he brings her to Adam so she could see it. Now, I, I want you to think about how this goes. I, uh, I do this on a regular basis at my house. Diane will, uh, will, will point out something that needs to be repaired or fixed or replaced or something like that. Uh, and so I'll go to work on it because I'm a relatively handy guy. Uh, and then when I get all done, the first thing I do is, come on, baby, you got to come see this. Look what I did, and, and I want her to enjoy and appreciate what I did for her. Some of you know that, that she's talked a lot about uh, the, the bathroom that I just remodeled for her and the tile job that I did and all that, and I couldn't wait for the day that I, because it was weeks into doing, but I got it all done, and I brought her in there and said, here it is, look at that, because I knew that I had made something really special, and, 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 that, and, and, I, and, and I was hoping she would be as pleased with it as I was. God went to work on this lovely creature. And he brings her to Adam. And he says, this, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which is a garden of, which is garden of Eden language for, that's the one for me right there. And we know it was love at first sight because of what Adam does next. He looks at that lovely creation and he goes, Whoa, man! <laughs> and God says, This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Two people become one. God's word describes the intended relationship between the man and woman in terms of two people becoming one flesh, as it were, one person. Everything they do, they do together. Everything they own, they own together. Everything they accomplish, they accomplish together. Everything they imagine, they imagine together. That's how a partnership works. Both will be equally involved, equally responsible, equally affected by the efforts of the other. That's how a partnership works. And the Bible says that both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. There was nothing between them that they had to hide from each other. Now the point that I want to make this morning, and it's a simple one, but we miss it. And I'm not sure why. I think partly because it's cultural, partly because we are um, inflicted with uh, the disease of selfishness. But the point that I want to make is this. God created marriage to be an, an inviolable partnership that separates a man and his wife from their original family to become partners in the various tasks that go along with family life. And so a man and a woman together partner up to manage the details of life. They partner up to care for each other because men and women have special kinds of needs. They partner up to express sexuality, and you might have thought I was talking about that a minute ago, but it's bigger than that. They partner up to raise children, because that's a job that done right requires more than one person. They partner up to provide for basic family needs. Keep the kids fed, keep a roof over their heads, to keep them clothed. To main, they partner up to maintain a household, and they partner up, if they do it right, to provide security for each other during the golden years. Now, older families remember a time when the members of the partnership fulfilled specialized roles. 
So in those days, men were responsible largely for breadwinning, landscaping, structural maintenance, that is taking care of the house, the repair work, and taking care of the vehicles. Men completed and fulfilled that part of the partnership. While women in those days stayed home and took care of the house and took care of the children. But in the 60s, something happened. By the way, I think under those circumstances, if, if somebody goes and, and, um, and they, um, uh, they leave the home and, and they work hard all day uh, and somebody else has been left behind to take care of that part of the partnership, I, thought that, I think that was a fair arrangement. It was reasonable. And that's how it worked. But in the 60s, Women started to go to work just like their husbands, didn't they? And now, we begin to see a cultural shift. The dynamic changed a little bit. Women became more independent because having gone to work and learned how to earn an income, and sometimes a, a good one, they proved that they were a little less dependent on their men than we thought they were. They also demonstrated that they could get along just fine without us if it ever came down to that. Men were expected to participate to a greater degree in the tasks once exclusively performed by their wives. That was a reasonable expectation. If I work and you work and we both live in this house, why should it be true that when we come home from our jobs that what you do... You don't like my preaching. <laughs> that what you do is sit on the couch and wait for me to make your supper, and what I do is continue my work after I get to the house. And no reasonable person would ever look at that arrangement and consider it right or fair. But we do what our dads did. And if you're as old as me, your dad was living in the age of the 60s. But we're a couple generations out now. And those expectations will ruin a marriage now. Now, I'm not making a comment about who's supposed to be the head of the house and all of that. I'm just going to say, fellas, if you let your wife take part of the responsibility for taking care of the financial needs of the home, then you need to accept part of the responsibility for doing the things that she used to be able to do when that's all she had to do. Amen? Amen? Partnerships needed to adapt to this new paradigm, but men were the last to recognize the problems because the other arrangement worked pretty well for us. And women became frustrated with men that treated them that way. And as a result, the average marriage today is populated by two angry people who spend more time retaliating against each other than helping one another. And partnerships strained beyond a breaking point are dissolving at an alarming rate. We have to do something to fix this. And I think that even though the culture has changed, the Word of God hasn't. As a matter of fact, none, nothing that has happened to our culture has surprised God in the least, has it? And so, is there biblical support for the suggestion that men need to reevaluate 
their role in the family. And they need to rethink their responsibilities. And they need to relearn how to be the kind of husband that God wants them to be. Men, because you are supposed to be the one who leads your family, let me start by giving you a little bit of biblical counsel about your part of the partnership. Stay with me here, because for many of you, this is going to be a radical change in the way you've been doing business. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Ephesians chapter 5 says what to men? It says, Men, love your wives in a sacrificial way. How did Christ love the church? Church being translated as us. Those who would believe. Did, did he say, listen, as long as you are performing as I would like you to perform, then I will be willing to bless you. If I find you to be perfect, without stain, without fault, without error, if I don't see any rebellion in you, if I don't see any wickedness in you, if uh, that's the kind of person you are, then you might be worth sacrificing myself for. Is that what Jesus did? No. Despite all that was wrong with us, despite all that was flawed in us, Christ was willing to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins so he could offer us eternity if we would believe. Amen? He went first. He suffered. And as a matter of fact, it's hard to see what he got out of the deal because he got us. Amen? And still, he chose to love sacrificially. And he said to men, that's the way it's supposed to be with you. And yet, we put our wives second to our toys, to our sports, to our own selfish desires way too often. There's not a lot in a lot of homes when you look at the man who lives there that shows him being sacrificial like Christ has commanded us to be. Fellas, if you love your wife like Christ loves the church, how could you watch her come home tired? with the same sore and aching back and sore and aching feet that you have and expect her to clean up your mess and take care of you and see about your needs. Is there anything sacrificial about that? If you do that, are you fulfilling the commandment, obeying the commandment to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Oftentimes, men have been taught somehow or another that we're superior and, and the church. Man, I, I went to church, I heard the preacher say this, wives, submit to your husbands. I expect my woman to submit. And we stick our chest out and we pound on it, like Tarzan or something. And the Bible never taught us that kind of junk. As a matter of fact, look what it says. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so your prayers will not be hindered. 
Now what does it say? Men, you're supposed to be the strong back in the relationship. Now I understand that we live in a culture that there are people that would take offense to that. I've been offensive before. If I offend people saying what God said, then I, don't, that's all, I just have to take it. But the deal is, women and men are different. Can we just acknowledge that? There's a reason that women are not part of professional football teams. Because they couldn't stand up to those monsters on the other side of the line. Amen? You, you're, you're not built like we are. You're not built the same as we are. It doesn't mean that you're worthless to God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says specifically that that's not the case. He just made women different than men in all sorts of ways. And so the Bible says, men, you may look at this gal and she may cry more often than you and she may not be able to carry the same load as you. By the way, that's how I made her. I made her girly. That's why you liked her in the first place. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be married to a woman that can beat me arm wrestling. <laughs> Live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature. Why do we want to understand them? So we know how to properly minister to them. What hurts them? What scares them? What makes them nervous? What pleases them? Live with your wives with an understanding of who they are. And what do you do once you gain that understanding? You show them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Some of the old translations use the expression weaker vessel. And I, and I like to, uh, to illustrate that with, uh, uh, with a little analogy that I put together. At, at my house, uh, we've traveled around the world and we were in the military for a while and, and um, one of the things that we accumulated on the way uh, that was given to us by her grandparents is this, um, this Polish and Czechoslovakian crystal. Uh, and, and we've got a, glass, a bunch of glasses and, and they're brightly colored and they have all kinds of etching on them and, and, and they're very valuable and we can't use them for anything. <laughs> uh, we, we got a big set of them and, and uh, what we do is we put them in a cabinet uh, behind glass, and we even have a light in there that shines on them so you can see how pretty they are, but that's what we do with them. Now, we have some coffee cups and some Tupperware stuff that's left over from 1947, and, 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 and I'm allowed to drink out of that stuff and to throw it in the sink and all that other kind of stuff, but, but there's this other stuff that I can't touch. Uh, we put it in a place of honor. It's valuable. It's not made for... You know what? Fellas, we're the Tupperware cups. Okay. <laughs> We're the thick coffee mugs. You can't do anything to no matter how hard you try. We, we are the stuff, we're the pots and pans that are made for banging around and all of that other kind of stuff. The gals that God made so beautiful and so delicate and made like they are in all, they made so much different than us so that we'd like them like we do. They're the ones that we put up in a place of honor and treat like they're more special than we are. That's what God intended for us to understand about our part in the partnership. Not that you're some kind of privileged class and it's her job to make you happy and if she isn't, ditch her and find somebody who will. You can't find that kind of thinking anywhere in the Bible. And a lot of the, the, the fights and, the, and, and the, the, dis, 
difficulties and all kinds of stuff comes from somebody that thinks that she is here to make him happy, that he is God's gift to her. And she ought to put a whole lot more into this relationship than him. That doesn't square with any scriptural directive about the attitudes of God's people anywhere. Amen? Amen. And specifically, it doesn't square with what we just read. Now, is all the problem to be placed at the feet of men? No. A wise, well-known, and celebrated philosopher by the name of Jerry Clower <laughs> remarked that when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But fellas, let me just ask you a common sense question. Who needs a break when both spouses work? It's, it's not a trick question. Both spouses. You don't know this because you don't live at my house, but there's a lady back there that can give you an amen. Before I come here to work in the morning, I've already done one or two loads of laundry. I'm talking about washed them, dried them, and folded them up. Hung them up. And I've already made sure there's not a dirty dish in the sink. As a matter of fact, now that I'm working here and I get home a little earlier than I used to, I usually beat her home, and most days, her dinner is on the table when she gets there. <laughs> she could not cook a turkey if her life depended on it. Not because she can't figure it out, she just never has had to do it. Because we have this little arrangement as part of our partnership. When Thanksgiving happens, I start early in the morning, and I wash the turkey, and I baste the turkey, and I stuff the turkey, and I put the turkey in the oven, and I make the pie, and the mashed potatoes, and the giblet gravy, and all the others, the stuffing, and everything that goes along with it, and about 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, I put it out there for us to eat. Y'all would like that deal, wouldn't you? <laughs> now, and by the way, I enjoy cooking. I find cooking to be an art. Okay? There's, there are two kinds of cooks. There are utility cooks. I'm going to heat up some food and put it out here so we don't starve. <laughs> and then there are people who enjoy the creativity of trying to find a way to cook something that's really special, and that's the part that I like. Diane, not so much. Cooking is something she does just because it's occasionally necessary. But you know what? What I don't like is washing dishes. I already said I do in the morning. But I make a mess when I make Thanksgiving dinner. I'll just tell you. And, and, and those of you that get in the kitchen, you know you got so many things going. And so, there's a lot of it. And, uh, but I work too. And I'm busy too. And I like to take a little time on the holiday too. So you know what she says after we eat dinner? Honey, that was delicious. Now you go in there and watch some football, and I'll take care of the mess. She got to put her feet up all morning while I was doing that. I get to put my feet up in the afternoon after everybody's eating. You know what that is? That's a partnership. 
that is a recognition of the fact that she goes and she does her job. And by the way, I'll tell you this, um, and she'll tell you this. We have never made her income part of our family budget. She's working because she wants to, not because she has to. And the day she's ready to say, that's enough, that's okay with me. Because it's my job, biblically, to meet the needs that my family has, period. You, you can challenge me on that if you want to, but I'm not gonna give up any ground. You find a scripture that, makes, that, that says I'm wrong, I'll, I'll consider it. But I've been through that book a lot, hadn't found it yet, amen? But she goes and gets tired, she takes care of other people's four-year-olds all day, every day. She's exhausted by the time she gets home. I understand it. Uh, and that's my way of taking care of this lovely, delicate partner that God has given me. That doesn't make me girly or less of a man. It just makes me closer to what the Word said. I'm not setting but myself before you as perfect. I'm just telling you that I try to live by what this book says. And I believe that that's the way it's supposed to look. Now, is it all us? Of course not. Of course not. Ladies, you, uh, you have a part in this too. And I want to talk about what typically is the thing that gets in the way in your case. Would you turn with me to Esther chapter 5? I'm going to quickly read about eight verses and then try to make a point. On the third day, Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. And as soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she won his approval. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther, the king asked her, whatever you want, even a half the kingdom will be given to you. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I prepared for him. And the king commanded, hurry and get Haman so that we can go do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And while drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you, whatever you want, even the half of the kingdom will be done. And Esther answered, this is my petition, my request, if the king approves of me, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them tomorrow. I will do as the king has asked. Now, why did I just read that? Because this is what happens. Uh, I just described what it looks like when men are a little bit clumsy and insensitive. Uh, and by the way, we are by nature insensitive. We go through life with blinders on a lot of times. And uh, we are not paying a lot of attention to how what we do affects you sometimes, ladies. But there's a way to approach us that works and there's one that don't. And the one that doesn't work is when you just pounce on us and tell us how wrong and awful we are and demand that we fix whatever's made you unhappy right now. Because the response you will get out of that from the average man is he will dig his heels in and he will show you that he cannot be pushed around. And now we have an ugly kind of detente in the house, don't we? I'm going to punish you. You're going to punish me. 
I'm unhappy, therefore I will make you more unhappy, and when you're un more unhappy, you'll make sure that you make me more unhappy, then I will say hurtful things, and you will say more hurtful things, and the whole thing spirals out of control. And that looks a lot like what I see happening in so many households today. It just doesn't work. Never, ever has. But what does work? Esther has got to talk to the king about a very sensitive situation because if she doesn't get his attention, her people are going to die. Haman has set this situation up. But Esther, instead of walking in there, can you imagine if she walked up to this king and she said, You idiot! You let this guy trick you into signing a decree that says that, that he can go out and annihilate all of my Jewish people. And if she had done that, I promise you, she got a different result than the one she got. But you know what she did? She got pretty. She respected him. Uh, and she approached him respectfully and politely. She buttered him up by preparing his favorite meal. And he said, baby, whatever you want, you got it. As a matter of fact, he said, hurry, Haman, we got to go over to Esther's place. Amen? Men respond to that. Always have. It works a whole lot better than the whoopings that you try to dish out. Folks, it's hard when we've learned the wrong kinds of ways to live with each other to reverse course and fix it. It'll take some deliberate effort and it'll take some time. And by the way, you can go home today and start acting right, and you may not get the desired result from your partner by this time tomorrow. There may be so much hurt and pain, it'll take a while for them to want to respond to you again like they used to. But you know, if you do the right thing long enough, sooner or later, fellas, if you'll wash some dishes, she might be more interested in granting your wishes. That's just how it works. Amen? If all of us go home and start being the kind of husbands or wives that God has called us to be, even if our partner doesn't respond immediately, the marriage will be improved just because of your efforts. But I can't help but to believe that kindness causes other people to respond positively. And that when we become the right kind of partner, we'll find ourselves in the right kind of partnership. It's a choice that we need to start making as God's people. Amen? Amen. Terry?